Live from the New York Stock Exchange, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Trading turmoil, U.S. stocks set to plunge at the open. Another trading halt looking likely. A matter of survival, airlines asking for government support to counter the disruption and China's data crunch. Industrial output falling at the sharpest levels in 30 years. It's Monday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to Monday's first move. Another dramatic 24 hours in financial markets where we saw global central banks finally coordinating to try and shore up the plumbing in the financial system. I'll walk you through all the details in just a moment's time. But the message from stock investors, it seems, is confusion and fear. We've got S&P futures falling more than 5% pre-market. That 5%, of course, is the lower limit. So now are paused. Our best guess is taken from exchange-traded funds, ETFs that track the S&P 500. They're pointing to an early session drop of more than 10% at this level. It's almost certain, as I mentioned, circuit breakers will be triggered, and then we'll see another 15-minute trading halt. If we end the session like this, we'll be giving back much, if not more, of the 9% gains that we saw on Friday, all that long forgotten. European stocks also deeply in the red. Asia markets lost ground too. Australian stock markets fell almost 10%. That was their largest drop on record. You're getting a sense of the picture that's building here. Let me explain what the Fed announced on Sunday. Interest rates in the US have been cut to near zero. Bond buying will be restarted, so-called QE. We're talking $700 billion worth. That's to help keep interest rates, treasury yields lower. They also joined four other central banks to offer cheap US dollars. We also saw the Bank of Japan announcing that they will buy further assets to China injecting more than $14 billion of cash into the system as new numbers, as I mentioned, show a deep economic contraction in the first quarter there. Australia, New Zealand also making emergency moves. Normally, when policymakers start to panic, investors panic less. But not so today, unprecedented times. Let's get to the drivers because Claire Sebastian joins us now. Claire, we're setting up for another ugly session here on Wall Street. The Federal Reserve taking all sorts of moves here all at once suspending the the meeting that they were going to have this week i think investors simply looking at this and just going what it's not enough what else do they have left here and where do we go now yeah, Julia, there's an awful lot for these very fragile markets to digest. I think you're absolutely right. There are two things going on here. One, people are looking at this and thinking, what does the Fed know that we don't? Is this, uh, you know, much worse than we thought, given that the Fed has now basically thrown almost the entire kitchen sink of its policy tools uh, at this crisis? And the second uh, is, is a sort of understanding that there are real limits in this particular crisis, which is, you know, real, a real sudden stop to daily life as we know it. Uh, there's real limits to what the Fed can actually do here. Now, Jerome Powell did address this in his in his sort of uh, telephone press conference last night. He said, look, we are trying to unfreeze critical markets like the Treasury markets, and they do filter in uh, to those markets where consumers and businesses go for credit. So, uh, you know, and by encouraging banks to lend, he is doing everything he can right now uh, to try to get cash into the hands of consumers uh, and businesses. This is a return, Julia, to 2008-2009 policies that the Fed is clearly on a very defensive stance.
stance here, but people are also pointing out this morning that given the situation in the corporate credit markets and corporate bond markets where companies facing a drop in income and revenue are going to find it very difficult to borrow, there is one more thing the Fed can do, and that is to buy corporate bonds. They haven't done that yet. People are talking about that. And the commercial paper, the short-term unsecured lending market, which is a real concern here. Jay Powell, we don't have the tools to reach individuals and particularly small businesses and other businesses and people who may, may be out of work here. That the Federal Reserve is saying, look, you know, we're approaching the limits. Targeted support, be it for businesses or consumers, is essential here. Yeah, fiscal policy, that is what we're hearing from all of the central banks. It has to be a combination of the two. I think in the U.S., uh, they, we are moving towards that, a potential tax cut, potentially targeted support. I don't, you know, the word bailout is heavily tainted, obviously, but, but something on that along those lines for the travel industry. But I think there's, there's, there's a couple of different ways to look at this, Julia. There are a couple of different problems that the Federal Reserve uh, is now looking at. One, you know, helping to avoid a recession. That horse may have already bolted. We got a, a, a New York uh, Empire State survey on manufacturing this morning, that fell uh, by a record amount. So, so it is looking like this is starting to show up in the data in the US. Then there's preventing a financial crisis, which they can help do by unfreezing these critical markets and hopefully helping to, to unfreeze credit in some ways. Uh, so, so that is what they are, they are grappling with. And of course, there's the issue of a, of a softer landing, which is something the Fed can also help with. When this starts to abate, when we start to see a recovery, they can help things return to normal quicker uh, and more smoothly. So that is really what we heard from Jerome Powell last night. It's a great point. Kickstarting the recovery important here too. Claire Sebastian, we'll get you back later on in the show. Thank you for that. Speaking of targeted support, Global Airlines saying, look, we simply need support to tide us over through this uh, credit crunch for the airlines in particular. They're warning of unprecedented disruption. Anna Stewart joins us now. Plenty more warnings overnight, but they're simply saying, look, in the interim, this is unprecedented level of disruption and we need support to get us through it. They're going to need support. They're going to need coordinated help. A couple of weeks ago, Julia, we had the IATA warning that this could cost Global Airlines $130 billion of revenue this year. And that was before the most recent U.S. travel ban on Europe. Now we're really seeing these airlines bracing themselves for the full economic impact, trying to protect their balance sheets. Uh, flights slash, planes grounded. There are so many headlines from the last 24 hours. It's hard to know where to go. I mean, EasyJet warn they may ground the majority of their fleet. Ryanair say they cannot rule out a full grounding. We're seeing redundancies. Some are warnings for the coming weeks. Some uh, are already being implemented. Scandinavian Airlines, for example, they have temporarily laid off 90% of their total workforce. I could go on. None of this is reassuring investors. We'll try and bring you some stocks up. But this morning, EasyJet fell by some 30%. IAG, the owner of BA, was down 26.5% and the bailouts are being requested. Not by individual airlines now, but by the big alliances, the big global three, One World, Sky Team, Star Alliance. Together they contribute more than half of all global airline capacity. They need help and they're already asking for it now. Julia? The message here is that we can't look at this as a bailout. These were economically viable companies that have been brought to their knees as a result of the circumstances at this stage. So we have to look at this as targeted loans. The question is how easy can they get access to that and how quickly can it come? Anna Stewart, great job. Thank you so much for that. To, to China now, where fresh data is showing the scale of damage to China's economy. Beijing says retail sales for January and February were down by a whopping 20% from a year earlier. Industrial outputs 
slumped by around 14%. David Culver is live in Shanghai. David, even if they're getting on top of the coronavirus outbreak here, the data is showing you the economic crisis that this has caused continues. Absolutely devastating here, Julia. And we got a sense of that as we've been covering this now eight weeks since the lockdown went in place in Wuhan. And we started to see life here come to a halt, much like it is in the States, much like it is across much of Europe. And so to say that we're through it here is far from the truth, to be quite honest. In fact, March data could be far worse than what we saw coming out in January and February. And what we're looking at from the China perspective, as far as how they're trying to handle this, is an injection of liquidity into the markets. And they've been doing that since February, hundreds of billions of dollars worth in February alone. As of today, as you mentioned at the top of the show, another $14.3 billion. That's being done by essentially giving cheap loans to banks. Uh, and then they're lowering the cash reserve requirement for many of the banks here. They did that on Friday. That was another more than 70 billion U.S. dollars equivalent that they've injected into the money market here. Uh, the reality is things are starting slowly to come back online. We've noticed that as restaurants have been given permission to reopen, hotel occupancy is slowly slipping back upwards. To give you an example, here in Shanghai, I, I know that uh, a sampling of, of the hotels generally sit around 60 to 80 percent occupancy. That's what they look at. Uh, as of this crisis, they were down three, four, some of them even lower than that percentage-wise. Uh, coming back up, in fact, the, the, the hotels that I've been speaking with are sitting around 15 to 20% right now. So not near where they need to be, but we're starting to see some improvement as they're coming back online. And that's the reality across the area outside of Hubei province. Because when we look at Hubei and we look at Wuhan, which we've talked about as being transportation hubs within China and even places of a lot of manufacturing, they are slowly coming back online, more slow, uh, I would say slower than even much of other parts of, of mainland China. And part of the reason is, Julia, we've been seeing that they have been dabbling with this idea of easing restrictions in parts of, of Hubei, and they've put that out there, but then they'll withdraw that, they'll revoke it, and they'll say, you know, not so quickly, let's, let's hold off before people start moving around and in too many parts. So, while the most recent uh, rules to come out have suggested that they're going to ease some of the restrictions in parts of Hubei, we know within Wuhan, for example, health officials just today said this is still a severe situation. They're still requiring people to remain in their homes, avoid going outside. So they're still far from returning to any sort of normality there, really, Julia. No, it's such a great point. Uh, David Culver uh, still need more time. But despite that, sending support to Italy, sending support to the United States as well, Jack Ma's foundation, a million face masks, 500,000 testing kits. I wanted to mention that because I do think this is an important and pivotal signal, actually, of support right. between two countries. David Culver, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for that. All right, let's uh, move on now around the world and some of the other headlines that, that we're following. The United States will hold a conference call with other G7 members to coordinate an international response to the coronavirus pandemic. More than 160,000 people have been diagnosed with the infection, with Europe now seeing a rapid spike in cases. In Italy, Sunday was the worst day yet, with more than 3,500 new cases and 368 people losing their lives, despite severe restrictions on movements for the past week. One man decided the best thing to do was give people something to smile about.
Melissa Bell is in Rome for us. Melissa, that just gives me goosebumps listening to it. Um, a breathtaking scene, breathtaking scenes, quite frankly, at an incredibly difficult moment. Julia, they take place every evening at 6 p.m. It has become a daily event because it is so important for people in this lockdown uh, to remember their connections with each other. And the only way they can do that is by going to their balconies, singing when they can, playing instruments where they can, banging their saucepans where they can't, uh, and just shouting across the road to each other. They are extremely emotional moments. And you realize the psychological toll that this lockdown is taking on people. There is, of course, Julia, also that economic toll. We're expecting Giuseppe Conte's government to announce a new stimulus package today. They've been meeting to discuss that. Remember, they'd already announced a 25 billion euro package. We're expecting more today. Help for businesses, help for families, relief uh, with any kind of payments that they may have uh, to make and which they may be unable to make given that they're unable to work at the moment and given that the economy has frankly ground uh, to a halt. Uh, it is also all about pumping fresh money into the country's extremely stretched healthcare system. We've been speaking to one doctor up in the north of the country, which was remember at the forefront of this outbreak within Italy who said that he reckoned that if things continued as they were with these record spikes continuing uh, that the north of Italy Lombardy probably had only until the end of the month to continue uh, finding enough beds for people so the healthcare system needs more money uh, and of course it's going to take some time to really count the full economic impact of what's going on here we also spoke to a virologist earlier on we asked him why those measures we're nearly at the end of the first week of this why we're not seeing the numbers come down on the contrary, we're seeing these spikes. Two new records yesterday, as you say, uh, Julia, we look to those uh, numbers that we'll get in a few hours here today to get the very latest. Those latest numbers, both the number of new infections and the number of new deaths, uh, record numbers so far. He explained that it was going to take at least another week for these extraordinary measures to translate into anything like a stabling out of those numbers, Julia. Yeah, I've just got to stick with the measures. Our hearts go out to uh, everybody there and those that have been impacted, of course. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. Melissa Bell there in Rome. All right, we're going to take a break. Coming up here on First Move, was it too much too soon? Former New York Fed President Bill Dudley gets us into the minds of uh, the central bankers on what they're doing right now. And more expert analysis. Mohamed El Arian joins us as we head for another red day on Wall Street. Stay with us. We'll back after this. move we're counting down to the market open and i can tell you wall street is bracing for steep losses this morning s p futures have hit their five percent limit down what we're looking at from indexes that track these is losses of more than 10 percent at the open a trading halt almost a given at this stage but it's not just about stocks take a look at what we're seeing in all markets as well we've got brent crude down some 10 percent u.s crude breaking below 30 dollars a barrel gold is also under pressure. This is a sign that investors are still being forced to raise cash. You sell what you can at this stage. It was the worst week for gold since 2011 last week. What we do see, though, is gains for U.S. bonds. The U.S. 10-year yield trading at 0.76%, uh, as you can see, a reversal of last week's jump in yields, where we saw four straight sessions of gains. Let's get you some context. Mohamed al Chief Economic Advisor at Allianz, joins us now. Uh, Mohamed, always great to speak to you. You tweeted this morning that you were baffled and upset by what the Federal Reserve did yesterday. Can you explain why? 
I mean, the first rule of crisis management is don't fire all your ammunition when it's not going to hit the target. So the ammunition that should have been fired was very laser-like focus on market functions and relieving, in particular, market failures. This notion of cutting interest rates by another 100 basis points, that's not going to change anything, Julia. If I give you a cheaper loan, if I put cash in your pocket because you've refinanced your mortgage, you're not going to go out there and spend it on travel. You're not going to go out there and spend it on the movies. You are going to keep it. So it's really important to understand that the time for these general policies will come, but not now. Why did they do this, Mohammed? And why say we're not going to have a meeting this week? I mean, they need to be prepared to have a meeting whenever to talk about what's going on and, and to laser-like precision focus on the dislocations or potential issues here. What happened, do you think? So I think if you want to be charitable, you say two things. One is they wanted to signal a whatever it takes. We are all in in this. So do everything, throw everything at it. And two is that while what they did wasn't sufficient, some will argue was necessary. That's the charitable interpretation. I think the less charitable interpretation is the lack of crisis management experience. It is once again communication mishaps. And finally, it is not having a good feel for the technicals in the market. So I leave it up to you whether you want to be charitable or less charitable, but the marketplace is tending towards the second one, which is a problem because that means the credibility of the Fed is in play, and the Fed is a critical anchor to the functioning of markets. My read is, is the market is panicking because they think the Federal Reserve panicked here and we can't have that at this moment in time. I think one of the, the differences that we can look at here, and we saw the announcement from the, the largest US banks yesterday, is that they're not going to buy back their own stock. They're going to make sure that they have capital on hand here, a symbolic gesture if necessary, but they're better capitalized than, than they were during the financial crisis. Is this something important to focus on here? Mohammed, particularly since we're looking at a, a health crisis that's becoming an economic crisis, we're trying to stem it becoming a financial crisis. Oh, absolutely, Julia. I mean, it's so important that our banks are in a better place because that protects the payments and settlement system. I know that sounds complicated, but it's basically the oil in your car. You don't think about it much, but when the oil breaks down, nothing else works. So the payments and settlement system, what gives a heart attack to the system, that is robust, that is well protected. And the banks in the US are in a good place. The concern is elsewhere, is that risk morphed and migrated from the banks to the non-banks. And in the process, people got lazy about liquidity, got lazy about risk management. They thought the central banks would always have their back covered. So the risk is there. It's not as critical as when it's in the banking system, but it can still make finance reverse contaminate the economy. And that's what we need to avoid. What do you want to see the Federal Reserve do now? A lot of people have been pointing to the fact that what the stock market is telling you is we have subsets, sectors 
sectors of business that are simply on their knees. The airlines is a classic example. Does the Federal Reserve announcing that they can buy commercial paper, so the unsecured short-term borrowing markets are, uh, are given some support here? Is that an option for you or, or what else do you want to see them announce now? So, so the Fed is in a worse place today than it was 24 hours ago. Having said that, they can still learn from the Bank of England. I think the Bank of England set an example that unfortunately neither the ECB nor the Fed followed. It had laser focus measures, including helping certain sectors. The Fed has authority to get somewhere near there. It has to go a different way. It had coordination with the Treasury and it had crystal clear communication. You know, we should learn from the experience of the Bank of England because we cannot repeat policy mistakes. Otherwise, we will create a whole new set of problems. Do you think we're already in recession, Mohammed? And, and is this a poor, important question to ask? Is the more important question to be asking what measures need to be in place to kickstart activity once we get through this period? So yes, we're heading into recession. It will be sharp. We need to make it short. So forget about the V. This is not a V. This is more like a U. And we need to avoid an L or an I. So it's, it's very important that we contain the damage. That's step one. And when the health issues become less paralyzing, because that's what they are. We're being yanked out of our comfort zone and we are front running all sorts of behaviors, when, when we have better assurances from the health professionals that we can contain this crisis, which we can, and that we can increase immunity, then focus on the rebound. That's when you deploy the big bazookas. So yes, we, we need to both manage a journey, that's gonna be difficult, but we also have the basis to jump back up once we can contain the health issues. Now, Mohammed, I think there will be people watching this show right now and listening to you and, and watching for another dramatic plunge on the stock markets. And to your point, we don't have a we don't have a model for what we're seeing here in the economic sudden stops. We don't have a model for isolation in the West or the kind of restrictions that we're being told to enforce. What's your, your message here to people that perhaps have, have money here and they're worried about their pensions or even are just trying to come to grips with how they have to live their lives on a daily basis now? So we have models, um, but they come from fragile and failed states or they come from communities that have been hit by a natural disaster. Because what that does, it simultaneously contracts supply and demand and that's what people are feeling. Look, I, I would tell people what I tell my family and my friends, understand what you're going through. It is really unsettling, but we will get through this. We will get through this. We just need to navigate the journey and not make things worse. You know, when people rush and buy everything in stores, that spreads panic. So we have to be careful and companies also have to protect their workers. This is not a permanent shock. They must not overreact. And governments must do a much better job at isolating the most vulnerable people in society and economic segments, protecting them and helping on the, on the health issues. We'll get through this, Julia. We will get through this. Okay, but people have to understand it's going to feel really uncomfortable for a while.
Wise words, sir. Thank you so much for joining us, as always. Mohammed Al Arian there, Thank the you. Chief Economic Advisor at Allianz. The market opens next. Stay with us. We're back after this. to the New York Stock Exchange. Just one individual, a representative of the New York Stock Exchange ringing the opening bell this morning, a sign of the times. And I can tell you some very uh, concerned faces watching the price action. We were expecting deep losses across the board. There you go. And that's the picture. So we are just waiting now for that bell to halt trading. That is the opening picture for the Dow and the S&P 500. Remember, that trading halt kicks in if there are losses of 5% or more pre-market and then we wait and see what happens once trading kicks off here too and we just wait to see if halt trading is halted for the session here as well but for now it'll just be getting a sense of where things are you can't even see anything moving at this stage so the fear here for global investors is that the emergency moves that we saw for global central banks simply not helping economies dealing with a health crisis you can work on the the plumbing of financial markets to make sure they're working of course but everything else at this stage is an open question. Goldman Sachs sees the U.S. economy posting zero growth in Q1, contracting 5% in the second quarter. They said that the S&P 500 might not bottom until it falls to 2,000. So as you can see right now, we're lying at around 2,490. So that takes, what, another 20% off the levels that we're seeing. It's really concerning. It's a 26% drop from Friday's close of course what we're looking at now is taking back gains that we saw on friday session that really no one trusted but as you can see uh, we are static at this stage so immediately immediately as this session opened the decision here was to halt trading and that's where we lie right now claire sebastian is with us claire this is what we were expecting Beforehand, we were tracking exchange-traded funds that were mirroring what was going on pre-market, and they were suggesting a 9 to 10% drop for these markets. Perhaps no surprise that almost instantly trading here is halted for 15 minutes. Yeah, Julia, the third time in six trading sessions that we've seen this happen, and I think this is the quickest. Uh, last Monday and last Thursday, it was a couple of minutes before trading was halted. This was pretty instant on the open. I think that just shows you uh, the level of concern, the level of volatility out there is only increasing. Really a reversal of what we tend to see when the Fed acts, is that the, the markets celebrate the return of cheap money. This is the opposite. Investors are looking at this and thinking, uh, is this going to get worse? Does the Fed think... Uh, that, that, that we're heading into a recession, we might already be in one. Uh, and, and do they have the tools to fix this? I think uh, the consensus is, you know, there's, there's, there's a certain amount they can do. They can unfreeze certain markets like treasuries, which is supposed to be the safest corner of the market, uh, which really saw some disruption last week. And they can try to get credit moving through the economy again, but they cannot get people to spend money on travel. They cannot open closed restaurants and bars. They cannot reopen schools. And that is what the market is dealing with. This is an unprecedented situation.
The economic shock of sudden stops, to your point, we often talk about the central bank's bazooka, but in the face of the challenges here, it's, it's more of a pea shooter, though I know you were listening to Mohammed al Arian saying that this should have been far more targeted, and it seemed that they just emptied the toolbox on, on Sunday with the remaining tools that they have in place at this stage, and seemingly acted out of some form of fear, or at least that's the message that, that investors have taken from this. The measures that they took were never about supporting equities. It was about financial plumbing. But at the same time, the reaction here, I think, across all assets is clear. Yeah, and to be honest, you know, this, this may well be a lose-lose situation for the Fed. If they didn't act, they could be faced with more market turmoil, just the same as if they did act. This is a very fragile situation out there uh, in terms of sentiment. There's a lot of emotion playing into the market. But I think the timing was crucial as well. When the Fed does this and does this on a Sunday night, just three days ahead of a scheduled meeting, that really does set up some fear. The question of why they couldn't have just waited three days. How worried were they about how markets were going to function on Monday morning? Again, uh, bringing that concern back into the markets, Julia. And I think it's, it's important to note, even in you know the, the, the sort of last hour or so, everything is changing so fast. We have a survey uh, of business activity and sentiment, the New York Fed uh, Empire State uh, Index that has plummeted by a record amount. One of the key factors that's bringing it down uh, is optimism. We are really seeing a decline in confidence out there uh, among businesses. And that is something that is, that is, that is really sort of outside of the Fed's, uh, the Fed's ability to fix at this point. Yeah, the hope, the belief is that this will be a short-term shock. One heck of a shock, but a short-term. But the problem is we have no sense of time here to understand how long businesses, individuals can survive and uh, continue throughout this uh, process. Claire Sebastian, don't move a muscle because I'm going to come back to you in a second. You posed some great questions, though, and questions for my next guest, uh, Bill Dudley, former president of the New York Federal Reserve. Fantastic to have you with us on the show, sir. I'm sure you were listening to that and heard some of those questions posed. What do you make? What's your assessment of the Fed's announcements last night and obviously the market reaction to them? Well, the Fed's doing what they need to do to try to help ensure that markets continue to function. What you don't want to have happen is the economy goes down and then that disrupts markets and then the market's disruptions makes the economy worse. So they're trying to prevent that negative feedback loop from bad economy to bad markets and bad markets causing the economy to even be even worse. But the Fed can't do anything about the initial shock. Uh, we're going to see a very significant downturn in economic activity over the next few months. The important thing, though, is what the Fed can do is prevent the financial system from breaking, make sure markets continue to function, and so prevent a, a negative feedback loop by, by which poor market function hurts the economy uh, even more. Mohamed Alerian was just on our show and he said that he was disappointed that the Federal Reserve should have been far more targeted here, perhaps looking at things like commercial paper, targeting specific lending, more like what the Bank of England did. Do you agree with that assessment? Did the Federal Reserve need to be more targeted? Well, I think it depends on what they identify in terms of areas of market stress. I mean, what they've identified so far is stress in the Treasury market and stress in the mortgage-backed securities market, and they responded to that. I think what they're going to be looking at very closely now over the next few days is what's happening in the commercial paper market. If the commercial paper market starts to have uh, dysfunction, then it's possible that the Fed will bring back the type of special facilities that we saw in 2008. 
Do you think it's um, time or will become very quickly time to invoke emergency powers to establish a government-backed new credit facility? Because we're looking at dislocations that are impacting certain sectors like the airline sector, for example. Could we do something like that and give the Federal Reserve more powers? Well, I think that's certainly uh, possible as, as something to think about. But I think the more important thing is fiscal policy. I think there needs to be fiscal policy stimulus that needs to be uh, broad-based to support families and small businesses who are going to take a hit to their income. Uh, we know that we're, the economy is going down, and, and the, the next consequence of that is people's incomes are going to fall. And uh, we need to basically provide some mechanism to support their incomes over the next three or four months as we go through this process of, of getting through the virus. I just want to remind our viewers as well that we are currently in a trading halt. Markets plunged instantly on the open and we are now observing a 15-minute trading halt to try and allow some pause, thoughts, decisions over further pressure on these markets. We'll see if indeed that works or we see further pressure, but that's what we're seeing right now. Um, Bill, I just want to say, and you raised a critically important point about the fact that more fiscal policy, more government policy is required. We did see Congress acting over the weekend, but the fear here is among the 57 million working Americans, 20 million people will be exempt from the measures that they passed over the weekend. It's it's good, it's something, but it's not enough. Do you I want agree. to see I more from governments to quite, too? I think yeah. Needs to be quite a bit more. What more do you need to see, do you want to see here? Because even Jay Powell said in the press conference last night, we can't support small businesses, we can't support individual workers. You have to distinguish between a liquidity crisis and a fiscal problem. And what we have here is mostly a fiscal problem. So I think the government needs to think about bringing, bringing forth resources to small businesses and households to help them get over the hump of what's going to be a disruption to their income flow over the next uh, several months. Are you in favor of a payroll tax cut? We need to forget about the cost and just take action short term. I think a payroll tax cut is certainly one thing that could be contemplated, but I think probably even better is just to send money to people, put checks out in the mail so every family in the United States gets a check uh, to support them over the next couple of months. Because the problem with the payroll tax cuts is, is it unfolds relatively slowly. Uh, and it's also, you know, not target, it's not, not, you know, if, you, if you're a higher income, you're going to get a bigger tax cut. That doesn't seem very fair. So I think you'd want something that's basically uh, to support low and moderate income households uh, that don't have much savings. Uh, for, for them, that, this is a really going to be a very serious t uh, time. Yeah, and there's growing consensus for that on, on the Conservatives and on the Liberal side among economists to simply send checks out. Bill Dudley, former president of the New York Fed, sir, thank you so much for joining us on the thank show you. this morning. I'm incredibly grateful. All right, we're in a trading halt here at the New York Stock Exchange. We saw a plunge in markets as expected immediately as the markets opened this morning. That's a snapshot, but at this stage it's unclear. Plenty more to come on the show. We'll talk you through it. Stay with us. You're with CNN. First move live from the New York Stock Exchange, where we are currently in a trading halt, the third trading halt in six trading sessions. That was the picture as things closed down, but it was immediate. The opening bell rang, 
we instantly saw pressure. We were expecting falls of 9 to 10% based on exchange traded funds that track these markets. And that's exactly what we got. So that's the picture. Everything's halted. We now observe a 15 minute halt. We've been in that for over 10 minutes at this stage. The question now becomes, and I know Claire Sebastian is back with us, the question now becomes, Claire, what does this picture look like when trading resumes? Does this 15 minute trading halt give people a chance to reflect, to pause at this moment? That's what it's there for. Or do we see further selling pressure? It's less than a minute, I think, Julia, until we find out. Now, when this has happened uh, tw two other times over the past week, it has sort of stabilized things for a couple of hours, but, but this effect has not been uh, a very long-lived one. We have seen further falls later in the session, and these are long trading sessions in the context of today's news cycle. A lot can change, uh, and frankly, people are digesting a lot of negative headlines this morning, be it school closures uh, in, in multiple different places, restaurant closures. We now have really the first piece of data that starts starting to show uh, the effect of the coronavirus. The New York uh, Fed uh, Empire State Manufacturing Index falling by a record amount, driven down by a huge drop in, in not only orders, but confidence, uh, optimism uh, as well. So that is a really sobering moment. But I thought it was interesting listening to Bill Dudley that the Federal Reserve, despite the fact that it's postponed or, or cancelled the, the, the planned meeting on Wednesday based on its actions last night, uh, and it isn't going to be issuing economic forecasts, that they are continuing, he believes, to still look at this, wondering what more they can do, keeping a close eye on, on credit in particular, looking at whether you know, a, a facility to buy commercial paper might be warranted. So, so this is something to watch in the Bell coming days. Bell there here sure. at the New York Stock Exchange, Claire, so my apologies for interrupting you, but we are and have resumed trading now. So we're building a picture of, um, of what the pressure looks like on this market. And I'm just uh, keeping my eyes coming back and forth to our viewers as we watch what's taking place here. At this moment, we've got the Dow and the NASDAQ approaching down 12%. And Claire, I don't need to uh, remind you, but uh, perhaps our viewers, just to be clear, a 13% drop, one 3% is when the next circuit breakers kick in. So the question now is, as we're tracking and approaching 12%, whether or not we can hang on and we can bounce off these levels or whether we continue to see further pressure. These are unprecedented times. Claire, despite the actions, perhaps as a result, we could argue of the actions that the Federal Reserve took yesterday, slashing rates down to near zero, announcing that they're back into quantitative easing, buying bonds once again, investors here really taking fright. We're now down 12%. Yeah, they're not holding on to, to any kind of stability, Julia. And this is very different for what we've even seen over the past week, which, which also showed record volatility. This uh, is continuing to fall. If it does breach 13%, that will be the first time uh, that we've seen that. And, and this has well and truly wiped out that record or, or, or biggest rally since 2008 that we saw on the Dow on Friday, well beyond reversing that now. I think, you know, investors are truly shaken by what they saw by the Federal Reserve coming out, not even able to wait three days until the next scheduled meeting and really throwing the entirety uh, of their policy toolkit uh, you know, at this problem. Analysts are saying this morning the Fed can basically step aside at this point. It's now up to the, the governments, uh, the US government and other governments to come in and really do decisive fiscal policy. The US Chamber of Commerce came out this morning with recommendations, including legislation to provide uh, credit facilities, legislation to, 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 to cancel payroll tax payments by companies. All kinds of measures uh, are being put out there on the table. It remains to be seen 
when exactly we're going to get a final decisive decision uh, from the administration. You know, it's interesting, and that's exactly the message that uh, former New York Fed President Bob um, Bill Dudley, sorry, was just saying to us. Firstly, that they they are being specific in what they're targeting. Where they're seeing dislocations, they will take action. So they'll watch the commercial paper market now, which is the unsecured short-term lending market for for businesses, for corporates. And if they see dislocations there, they will take action. But to your point, he also reiterated that the government needs to do more at this stage. He was even suggesting and. There is building consensus for this, simply sending out checks to people, give people money in their hands to try and shore up confidence. Claire, it's okay if people are out of work, but simply if they can't go out and spend, um, it's going to help them in the uh, medium term. It's perhaps not going to help them so much in the short term beyond a bit of confidence here and, and them not taking fright about what this means to their jobs going forward. I think confidence is, is truly currency at this point, Julia. I think if people can can sort of avoid panic, if we can start to see people avoid panic buying in grocery stores and frankly panic selling on the markets, that will put everyone in a better and safer position to weather this. So that, uh, you know, while it's seemingly, uh, you know, a truly emergency measure that he suggested does sort of make sense in the context of this unprecedented situation. But look, businesses are you know, in, in trouble at the moment. We see you know, even the strongest ones, the likes of Boeing drawing down a 13.8 billion loan facility as a precaution to preserve cash. We see the big banks cancelling buybacks in order to, to preserve cash. People are selling both good assets and bad. We see gold down today, despite the fact that it's a traditional safe haven. And in order to try to preserve cash, it's a, th- a theme that we see now across the financial markets, even at a time, and, and it's made worse, frankly, by the fact that, that corporate borrowing is becoming increasingly difficult. So that is why fiscal policy is so important at this point. Absolutely. And actually, we're just giving you a picture, a snapshot now of what we're seeing, not just for the broader markets, which are down more than 11% at this stage, but also the airline stocks. We've talked already on the show, and Claire, you've been talking to us for days now about the existential crisis that some of them are saying they're facing now as a result of cut capacity, but also the banks here. And this is something we need to focus on as well. The largest U.S. banks all saying yesterday that they're not going to buy back their stocks. It's a symbolic gesture, but they're simply saying, look, we're going to have cash available to give to the real economy. We're not going to put it towards buying back our own stocks. But if I can show you once again what we're seeing for those share prices, the financial sector here is also dragging the broader index down because investors are looking at themselves and saying, well, if the banks aren't buying their own stocks, who is at this stage? It's a cascade of pressure and at the heart of that is fear. Claire, stay with us. We're going to take a break. We're down some 11 percent plus on these markets the next circuit breaker kicks in at 13 we've got you covered stay with cnn first move where we are seeing severe pressure once again on the U.S. stock markets. I'm glad to say the New York president, uh, NYSE president, Stacey Cunningham, joins us now. Stacey, we spoke to you on Monday last week. Same story here again. Fierce pressure. Tell me what you're seeing. 
so what we're seeing this morning is a lot of market anxiety, and I think that's reflecting the anxiety people feel more broadly across the country. And so the markets have been selling off. We triggered a market-wide circuit breaker this morning after a decline of 7%. The markets reopened. We're opening stocks now and going through that process of seeing how the market's going to react throughout the day. It is very possible that we would trigger a 13% decline. That's not out of the realm of possibility, at which case we would pause again and halt for 15 minutes before reopening. I think it's important to recognize that while we're seeing a significant sell-off in the market, I, all the conversations that I've had with regulators, federal, local, state governor, uh, government, is that they're very focused on, on helping. And so what I think people should focus on right now is taking precautions around their health, and then we'll turn our attention to the markets after we get the virus under control. I agree. And we'll get first. through this. Stacey, is there any chance that the stock exchange, I mean, we're taking all sorts of precautionary measures here, temperature testing, is there any chance that, that the New York Stock Exchange will simply move location, that this will shut, just given the turbulence that we're seeing? that we put in place. We don't feel the need to shut the markets right now, shut the trading floor right now. We do have the ability to shut the trading floor. We do have the ability to trade entirely electronically. Our stocks trade better when we include human judgment, so we haven't taken that additional step just yet. But we can do that. We operate five different equity markets. The New York Stock Exchange is the only one that incorporates a human element to the trading. We can, on the New York Stock Exchange, trade entirely electronic. We haven't done that. Instead, we focused our energy on precautions to keep the people safe here in the building and to introduce more social distancing. We've dramatically reduced the number of people coming into the building. We've segregated entrances. We've increased cleaning. We had a deep sanitization of the trading floor over the weekend, and we've implemented medical screening at the doors. So when any, before anyone walks into the building, they're screened by a medical professional, taking their temperature and, and looking at additional testing if warranted. And Stacey, we do appreciate it. We've noticed and we appreciate it. Thank you so much for that. Stacey Cunningham there, the NYSE president. We're under pressure with these markets, but we have gently bounced off the lows. We'll be back with plenty more in the coming hours. Stay with us. You're with CNN. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.